Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. SMLR 2.0 is the revamped Sunday morning Linux review with Tony Bemis, Mary Tomich, and Tom Lawrence. On even episodes, we cover distro fever and tech news. On the odd episodes will be fresh looks where we review a distro or software or tips and tricks. Live recordings are bi-weekly. Sunday morning on both Google Hangouts on air and audio-only stream. Visit smlr.us for all the shows and the live recording schedule. And welcome once again to Linux in the Ham Shack. You are listening to episode 156 of our program that started way back in October 2008. And it is October of 2015, right about our seven year anniversary. So thanks once again for being here and for listening. And for those of you who are live in the chat room and listening to our stream and for everybody who listens after the fact, my name's Russ, and I'm K5TUX, and with me tonight is Cheryl sitting across from me. Hello, everyone. And we also have Pete Landry, V2XPL, from up there in Woo-hoo! Canada. Yay! <laughs> Good day! And who knew how to unmute at the proper time this time. I did. I actually unmuted in advance. I'm organized. Wow. wow. <laughs> and we, we are starting way before our usual start time, so it's all coming together tonight. This is I fantastic. Well, no, not really. All right, so let's move on to our first segment, which is our amateur radio topics for the evening. And the first one I got is a post from a member of the Aristic Amateur Radio Association, which was my first amateur radio club. Uh, a current member of that club, Eric Hoppy, I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced, and I'm probably butchering it totally because he was not a member when I was a member. That was many years ago. But his call sign is KB1KMF, and he posted a link to a ham, a ham radio Morse code tutor program for ios which is cool and it happens to be a free application for ios which you know it's not terribly hard to find free ios apps but it's certainly harder to find them than it is for android but this one is called morse coach you can find it at morsecoach.com and the website says it's the easiest way to learn morse which i guess i don't know maybe it is they all say that they, they do all say that but let's keep an open mind well, we will And for those of you who are using iOS or have an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod, for that matter, and want to learn Morse code, this is one way you can do it. And the website says, how does it work? Morse Coach uses the well-known Coke method for learning Morse code. Is that Koch? Is it? Well, that's how I always pronounced it. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure. I say Koch, you say Coke. Or no, I say Coke, you say Koch. We'll call it. Just don't say cock. (laughs) Okay, that's right. (laughs) The process involves starting with your desired end speed instead of ramping up training. By beginning at your desired speed, you are training with ear to read at that speed from the outset. You begin with two characters, transcribe randomly generated patterns. When your accuracy gets above 80%, you are ready to move on to the next level by adding another character. And then it goes into, like, how it was born, who wrote it, etc. Yatta, 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 yatta. There's a link to the download site from iTunes on the website, morsecoach.com. 
So if Morse code is something you're interested in learning and you happen to be an Apple fanboy or a fangirl for that matter, then you might want to check this out. And it is a free download, an excellent resource for Morse code tutoring. One of my friends from the South Coast Amateur Radio Service uh, and a huge uh, Morse code enthusiast used to say that that's a really good way to do it is to not, not start slow and work your way up, but start right away from the speed that you're trying to get at and struggle at the beginning, but you already get used to it. So it's nice to see that these guys have picked up on that too. I'm sure these guys know what they're doing too if they're developing uh, Morse code software. I, I did have a hard time. I started with the five words per minute and worked up to 13 based on the license classes at the time. And I found that it was a struggle. It was almost like learning it all over again with each new speed because it's not like language. It doesn't translate just having it thrown faster at you because it actually does sound different. I do believe this is a good method. And I probably wish I had started with a method like that where I'd actually gone to 20 words per minute and learned it that way. But I did not, and I only got to 13 and kind of abandoned it after that. So, Well, it's never too late. It is never too late, except when you have not enough time to do anything at all. But it's not too late. You just don't have time. That's right. For those who don't want to download anything and accessible on all platforms because it's web-based, it's uh, called lcwo.net. Some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may have used it. Uh, LCWO, Learn CW Online, lcwo.net. Morse code based. You create yourself an account. There's no fees. And uh, basically... uh, it, it tracks your progress as you go. So you start out with a few characters. Um, you listen, and you gotta listen to the characters. Type type what it is. So you can't really practice the code as in uh, you know a dit da da dit dit dit, whatever that's spelled. I have no idea because I don't know Morse code. But uh, it does track your progress. And uh, same thing. Once you get eighty percent accuracy, you can move on to the next level. I was a member a few years back. I'm still a member. I just haven't used it in a couple of years uh, because. It's not too late, but I also don't have a lot of time. Uh, but it's one that I thought was quite entertaining. So somebody might want to check that one out too. That one, like I said, uh, web-based, so cross-platform by definition. We've talked about Morse code tutors many times in the past, but there's always room for a new one. So let's move on then to the next thing, which is ARRL asks the FCC to clarify Wi-Fi equipment modification rules. I thought this was particularly pertinent since we were talking about HamNet and various things along those lines in our last episode, our interview with Frank Howell, K4FMH. And since you're having Wi-Fi issues at home. And since we are, in fact, having some <laughs> Wi-Fi problems at home. Now it's, it's just my <laughs> I thought I would throw this one in. The ARRL has asked the FCC to make clear that amateur radio operators may modify non-amateur equipment to use on amateur radio frequencies. Some hams have expressed concerns that recently proposed rules would inhibit post-sale modification of Wi-Fi equipment, now sometimes altered for use on amateur radio frequencies. The AARRL states the commission should clarify that the ability of licensed radio amateurs to modify and adapt non-amateur radio equipment for use in the amateur service is beneficial, is permitted, and is not restricted by any rule of general applicability. Wow, good word, applicability. The ARRL's comments also point out the amateur radio service has a very long tradition of modification and adaptation of commercial, 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 another good word, commercial, commercial. yes, uh, communications equipment. The league has also called on the commission not to combine the declaration of conformity 
and verification equipment authorization procedures into a single self-approval program. Another point made by the ARRL is an urgent need for improved labeling requirements for certain Part 15 and Part 18 devices, noting that Part 18 devices are neither intended nor designed for safe use in residential environments. That came straight from the ARRL, and there's a whole lot more to that story, the link of which will be in the show notes. And for those who are paying attention, the show notes have been posted for the last few episodes. I am doing it myself. Wow. I'm yeah. trying to get on out of here because I'm hell sheep and got out again. Oh, I look, got- I, I pushed the wrong button. Why don't you just <laughs> that back a little bit? Yeah. Dial it back. All right. It's- so um, you're a busy bee then. I, well, I'm trying to be, and we, we've been all over the country lately. We just came back from New Mexico. I know. I'm stalking you on Facebook, as you know. Well, <laughs> trust me, the, the dozen or so pictures that made it to Facebook are just a drop in the bucket of the thousand plus probably pictures we took while we were there. I believe it. That's there the are, curse of digital photography. Yes. Yep. And there was actually an amateur radio club set up at the Bloom Fiesta. There was. And we yeah. went and talked to him. So. Yep. I don't remember which one it was now. We have a card the from The card them. isn't laying on my desk. Yeah. So, which was like the Albuquerque. Something, something, something. Yeah. If we come up with that before the end of the show, we'll definitely make mention of it. So anyway, we have no one more <laughs> amateur radio topic, and that is Joint USA-Cuban Amateur Radio Exhibition and Operations set for October 21st. Really? Are you guys friends now? We are now. Most of the embargoes have been lifted, and we're all buddy-buddy. Cool. So you can get cigars now? We can. Legally? You Legally. You don't have to smuggle them anymore? That's absolutely true. Excellent. To celebrate the opening of relations between Cuba and the United States, a combined group of 16 amateur radio operators from each country will work together as a team under the Cuban amateur radio call sign T42US in a worldwide radio sport competition. This competition will pit the joint Cuban-U.S. team against other groups around the world. As part of the activities, there will be a demonstration of amateur radio to Cuban children, an exhibition with the sharing of new radio technology, the radio sport competition, and a banquet celebrating the collaboration. In addition, for the first time in history, U.S. FCC amateur radio exams will be administered to Cuban amateur radio operators who are able to pass the FCC exam. So it's all very cool. This came from uh, the Digital Journal at digitaljournal.com, and there's information about the collaboration and the contest at www.t42us.com. The article has a lot more information than we're giving you here. We just throw in the highlights. But this sounds very cool, and yes, most of the embargoes, if not all of the embargoes, have been lifted against Cuba uh, between them and the United States. And uh, so there's lots of collaboration. And there was there was information in this article about the fact that even during the embargo period, the United States and Cuba were always in ham radio contact. One of the few places that actually were, they're sort of celebrating the fact that uh, the embargoes have been lifted and we're all buddy-buddy again. If there's an entity that's always yeah. been buddy-buddy from country to country, it's always been ham radio operators. Yep. Absolutely. Throughout history, and, you know, there's many, many examples all over the place of uh, countries who are at war, but yet, uh, you know, good friends in amateur radio. So uh, that's, uh, that's one thing that I like about the hobby is it's the camaraderie that exists. Absolutely. And Cheryl did dig up the card from the folks who were out at the uh, Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta, and the club was the High Desert amateur radio club of new mexico and their website is www.nmshd.com 
that's our amateur radio stuff for the uh, for the uh, fortnight. So let's move on to some Linux topics. And uh, I've been doing all the talking this time, or at least all the reading anyway. So, Pete, go ahead and butcher the next one. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I've I been... know more about ham radio, so I have to do all the <laughs> Linux stuff. That's right. That's why I gave this to you. Microsoft to buy Canonical? Question mark. Will it happen? Nobody knows. A recent rumor sparked waves of fear and outrage throughout the Linux community. Understandably so. That's the fact. The word is, word on the street is, that Microsoft's in secret negotiations uh, to purchase uh, Canonical, which is, you know, is a Ubuntu company. Uh, with Ubuntu and its derivatives installed on millions of home computers and web servers, takeover would be disruptive, to say the very least. Canonical is no stranger to controversy, of course. It's been involved in a very public licensing dis- dispute uh, with the uh, Free Software Foundation. Uh, but when all is said and done, few would deny that Canonical is a valuable member of the Linux community. The same uh, sentiment does not hold true for Microsoft, however, even though it's now one of the largest corporate distributors uh, contributors, sorry, to the Linux kernel. Of course, most of these uh, contributions are driven by the company's own requirements. The story continues to discuss the pros, cons, and likelihood of a Microsoft takeover of Canonical, but ultimately remains inconclusive. So, uh, this is from the Linux Journal. I'd be curious to see what their sources are. In the article, they cite two undisclosed sources. Undisclosed source rumors. Um, you know, what's to say? Are they just kind of making waves for whatever might be coming? They probably are. I mean, you know how journalism is. They, it's designed to be pro- provocative. And this is certainly a provocative story. Who knows? There's lots of discussion in, in the story that's not related here. The link to it, of course, will be in the show notes. You can also just look it up by going to linuxjournal.com and doing a search for Microsoft and Canonical. There's lots of interesting discussion there about the whole idea of a merger between the two, pros and cons, and also whether, in fact, this might be a likely scenario. I think the, I think the consensus was that this is very, very unlikely to actually happen. But, you know, stranger things have probably happened. KD5HQN in the chat room says he's surprised that Google hasn't tried to buy Canonical. They use a customized version of Ubuntu on their laptops and for their techs and data centers. Okay. So that, that's an interesting thought. But And I think Google would actually be a better fit, probably, to buy something like Canonical than Microsoft. Microsoft, it seems to me, if they wanted to, to get in on the Linux side of things, would just write their own and put out their own Microsoft Linux. Uh, rather than trying to acquire an actual open source company. He says, uh, Jeremy says, maybe it leads to some much needed improvements in Windows. <laughs> yes. There has there has been rumor <laughs> about open source Windows as well. We I think we've mentioned that on the show, and I don't think that's happening either. Open source Windows from Microsoft or from a third party? From Microsoft. Well, everybody's pirating it anyway, so well, <laughs> what would right. they have to lose? Yeah. Our uh, other topic in the open source world for tonight is Ofcom to revoke unvalidated ham radio licenses. This is for our UK hams specifically, and I know there are many of those who listen to our program. Uh, The UK communications regulator proposes to revoke amateur radio licenses which have not been revalidated. UK amateur radio licenses remain valid unless surrendered by the licensee or revoked by Ofcom. It is over nine years since Ofcom last revoked an amateur license for any reason. It is suspected that there might be tens of thousands of amateur licenses which have not been revalidated. 
Ofcom proposes to start with those that should have been revalidated in 2012. The Ofcom announcement and uh, where you can revalidate your license if you're a UK ham will have links to those sites in the show notes. That was it for our open source topics, but we're going to move on to our third segment, which is Linux in the Ham Shack, which is the name of the show. And here we go. This is something interesting I just found out about today. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but there is what is called the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend Distribution. I did not know this thing existed until a few hours ago. There are what are called Pure Blend Distros, which are Debian distributions which are tailored to certain aspects of the commuting public. The commuting public? The computing public. (laughs) Maybe they commute, too. Well, they could be commuters as well. That's true. Uh, The computing public, based on specific uh, application types or focus groups done by specific developers. And apparently, the folks who maintain the ham radio packages for Debian have decided they're going to put out a pure blend distribution of Debian just for ham radio. And uh, this is directly from the website. The Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend is a project of the Debian Ham Radio maintainers team who collaborate on maintenance of amateur radio-related packages for Debian. Every Pure Blend is a subset of Debian that is configured to support a particular target group out of the box. This blend aims to support the needs of radio amateurs. The blend is built from a curated list of amateur radio software in Debian, The two main outputs from the blend are a collection of meta packages and live images that can be put onto a DVD or USB stick. Meta packages in Debian are packages that can be installed just like any other package, but that do not contain any software, instead instructing the packaging system to install a group of other packages. If you're new to Debian and you'd like to try the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend without installing it on your computer, or if you'd like to perform a fresh installation of Debian with all the amateur radio software ready to go, you might find the live images useful. Images are produced that can run from DVD or USB sticks on both 32-bit and 64-bit Intel architectures. You can find the uh, information about this specifically at debian.org slash blends slash ham radio. And that's all lowercase. They actually release this as you can install a vanilla version of Debian onto a system, and then you can install just the meta packages. There are a few meta packages. There's ham radio dash antenna, ham radio dash data modes, digital voice, logging, Morse, non-amateur, packet modes, rig control, satellite, SDR, tools, and training. And if you install any one of those meta packages on a Debian distribution, you will get all of the applications that are relevant to those subsets built into the meta packages. And if you're interested in installing like a live system or running a live system from a DVD or USB or running a live system in a virtual machine environment, you can also do that by directly downloading an ISO image from the same website. And that will give you all of those meta packages installed with a Debian distribution, the current Debian Jesse distribution, by the way, 8.2.1, with all of that stuff pre-installed and ready to go out of the box. So this, to me, is actually pretty cool. I did not get a chance to actually try this out before the show, but it sounds very cool, and I definitely want to do that because I have a new machine here in my ham shack dedicated for my radios and stuff. I am using Debian Jesse for the installation on that particular machine, 
but I installed most of the ham radio software by hand afterwards. Having done that, I actually want to try this instead and see if uh, all of my needs are met by having all the software I would want to use uh, already pre-installed in a Debian distribution, which happens to be my favorite distribution. The links to where you can get this and to the information uh, provided by the ham radio blend of Debian is in the show notes. Uh, but as I already said, you can find it at debian.org slash blends slash ham radio. Would this be without any compilation of any kind? Yes, it is download and install, but it's only for the ham radio software that is maintained by the Debian package ma- uh, managers. Okay, so this isn't this. It's not a distribution. It's just no, no. It is a distribution. Okay. It, it is released as a distribution, and it has all of the ham radio software maintained by the ham radio package maintainers pre-installed. But if there is a ham radio software package out there that is not maintained and not available in okay. the Debian repos, it will not be available. Right, right. It is something you can add later, you know, by compiling or whatever method you would normally use, uh, but it will not be there by default. The but almost everything also- is. I mean, FL Digi and Zaster and, you know, most of the things that you would know by heart as a ham radio software package will be included in this. It doesn't say, like, specifically, I can't find a list of everything that's on there. But. No, nor can I. But it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive list. Oh, very nice. Well, I'd be curious to try that. I, I'm Go looking ahead. forward to try it myself. It seems really cool. And I like the fact that you can uh, run an image, too. Which is something that's mm-hmm. kind of new to Debian, actually. The the idea oh, really? of, a, of a Debian Live is only a couple of years old, I think. Ever run any Debian distribution? I mean, Debian der- derivatives but uh, never a pure Debian. Speaking of software that would actually not be included in this distribution, we'll talk about the next thing, which is the Direwolf Software TNC. And I'm going to let Pete go ahead and stumble his way through this one. (laughs) And and then we'll talk about it when he gets through it. Direwolf is a software sound card, modem TNC, and APRS encoder decoder. Uh, It can be used standalone to observe APRS traffic. can be used as a digipeter. APRSTT gateway or internet gateway, or what's also known as an iGate. Uh, it can also be used as a virtual TNC for other applications, uh, such as APRS IS32, UIView32, which a lot of people are probably familiar with, uh, Zaster, which is also quite popular, APRS slash TW, YAAC, which I'm not familiar with, UISS, and uh, Linux AX25, uh, Star Trek, RMS Express, and many others. Uh, features include, uh, for you techie types, 300, 1200, and 96-baud operation, logging and conversion to GPX file format, beaconing for yourself and other nearby entities. Why would you want to beacon nearby? I guess it's your own nearby entities. It wouldn't be beaconing for somebody else. No, maybe you want. Maybe you want to. Uh, also features very flexible digipeating with uh, routing and filtering between up to six ports. APRS TT Gateway converts touch tone sequences to APRS objects. Uh, an APRS Internet Gateway, iGate, uh, with IPv6 support. Uh, it's compatible with software-defined radios or SDRs, uh, such as uh, GQRX and RTL-FM. Uh, it's open source, so you can see how it works and make your own modifications. Make it uh, what you want, when you want. It runs in three different environments, uh, which would be Microsoft Windows XP or later, uh, Linux, and regular PC or single-board computers, such as the Raspberry Pi, the BeagleBone Black, 
or the QB Board 2 and Mac OS X, which actually makes it kind of interesting. You can run it on anything you want. Uh, so the source for this uh, story was from github.com, and you can look that up. It was posted by WB2OSZ, and it's called Direwolf. That seems really interesting. This did seem like an interesting project to me, and I have not really had much use for doing things like Packet or APRS in uh, many years, actually. <laughs> so I don't really know a whole lot about it, but it seems to be extremely versatile, and if you don't want to have a hardware TNC or you don't uh, have access to a hardware TNC, it's compatible with a surprising amount of software, which you read at the beginning there, like APRS, IS32, Zaster, yet another APRS client, so on and so forth and uh, all of the Linux AX25 clients as well. It looks like it's super versatile. I think we have mentioned Direwolf maybe in passing on a previous episode, but we never really talked about it. We're not exactly talking about it now, but it does sound like an interesting project. So if uh, APRS or any kind of software or interaction that you have with amateur radio requires a TNC, this might be something you want to check out. And I did get from the website that this is not packaged for distributions yet, the installation procedures show that you did have to download the source code and do a build of it. So you will have to have uh, a working build environment on your system. There is an exe and a zip file for Windows. Uh, so, you, so you can just download and run an exe file for Windows. But for Linux and Mac OS, you're going to have to build it. Yeah, that is interesting because, I mean, some radios um, come with TNCs, uh, you know, the Kenwood 700, 710, uh, a couple of others, uh, or you could just kind of buy your TNC on the side, but uh, this sounds a lot more affordable. Well, it certainly does, and I'm not sure um, how well, you know, how the interfaces work and everything. You probably have to use your sound card or whatever to interface whatever software you have and whatever radio you have. Uh, and whatever PTT control like CAT or HamLive or whatever else that you would need uh, for APRS and whatever else you're doing. 1.3 is the current release, uh, and a snapshot for release has been done for September of this year, so it is in active development. So check that out, Direwolf, uh, github.com slash WB2OSZ slash Direwolf. I believe we're down to uh, segment number four. Well, we don't actually really call it segment number four, but uh, it is the fourth segment. But it's really our music, and our music this evening comes from Jamendo, as it often does. This is an interesting song that um, if you're into just a straightforward rocking kind of song, not a whole lot of frills, just some guitar and uh, tap-your-feet kind of tempo to it, this will be right up your alley. It's by a group called MMO. They're from Nashville, Tennessee, here in the United States. This was released several years ago, actually, back in July 2009. It's off the album Drunk Dial of the Year, which is actually a track on the album as well, a really good one. Most of the stuff I heard from MMO was quite good, but I picked this particular song because I particularly enjoyed the, the subject matter. So uh, for those of you who want to actually listen to the lyrics, you might pick up on what the subject matter is. But anyway, this one is called The Faker, The Better. And uh, we'll go ahead and give this one a listen. It runs about four minutes, and we'll pick it up on the other side. Perfectly obsessing. The lines that crack your face So easy 
right, that was The Faker the Better by MMO from uh, Drunk Dial of the Year. I actually enjoyed that. Good rocking track. Not not too frilly, just kind of lays it out there with some good guitar licks and uh, a good time and some fun lyrics if you actually spend the time to listen to it. So that's the music for tonight, and we're going to move on to feedback. And we have a buttload of feedback tonight. I was going to say something else, but I don't want to edit later. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, oh, we have uh, some new folks in the chat room. Victor Alpha All 7 right. XXM. Ah, excellent. Yes. Is in the chat room and presumably listening, so hello. <laughs> presumably. <laughs> presumably. We don't want to make any assumptions. <clears throat> All right, so let's go on to our first uh, bits of feedback, and we actually have two bits of voice feedback tonight. This is really cool. I love voicemail. First one here is from Scott, Scott Pettigrew, N8VSI. Hello, Russ. Hello, Pete. And hello, Cheryl. This is Scott Pettigrew, N-A- <clears throat> me, N-A-P-S-I. Just got through listening to the show where you talked about Yak, yet another APRS client. And I wanted to thank you very much. I've been using Yak for, for a while now. I would love to use Exaster, but uh, I'll tell you what. Getting maps for Exaster is a nightmare. And so the open uh, OpenStreetMap integration with Yak is wonderful. That being said, if you have any tips for getting maps for Exaster, I would love to hear them. As always, guys, great show. Love listening to you guys and glad to hear that y'all are back. 7-3 from N8VSI. All right. That was Scott, N8VSI, from out in Ohio, the state that's round at both ends and high in the middle. I don't have any actual tips on how to get the maps to work better in Zaster. As I've often said on the show, uh, APRS is not my forte. So, um, Wix says Zaster is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It says he took him weeks to get it to build. Wow, weeks is a long time to build a software package, even maybe on Windows. Maybe he's just got a really slow computer. Well, maybe that's true. <laughs> so we'll put that out there as a as a call to our listeners. If you have a decent way or a, an easy way to get maps working in Zaster, let us know. But I'm not sure that Scott actually needs it because he uses yet another APRS client and says it's working phenomenally with the OpenStreetMap integration. But... For those of you who are out there who use Zaster, if there's anyone who has a clue on how to get the map integration to work easily, let us know. We will definitely get that information out there. And thanks, Scott and ADVSI, for the voicemail. We love to hear from all of our listeners, and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to send us some voice feedback. And that's why we always put the voice feedback right at the top, because we love hearing your voices out there. So we do have another bit of voice feedback, and this is from one of our longtime listeners and one of our regular callers in. We probably shouldn't bother to tell who this is before we play it, but we'll go ahead and do it anyway. This no, is... no, no, wait till the end. All right, we'll go ahead well, and just we'll, play we'll it. We'll give a hint, because a couple of weeks ago we were just saying, hey, we haven't heard from Beep in yeah. a long time. So <laughs> you must have heard us and uh, given us yep. uh, a message, a massage. Well... That's that's all the hints you need, so here it is. Hi, Russ. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Pete. Uh, for anybody who's on the fence about calling the Linux in the ham shack line, it's a wonderful message that you receive when you first get it. It's uplifting, and, and if you're having a bad day, it might, just, it might just make the difference between a good day and a bad day. I feel much better now about who I am as a person. They appreciate 
you people and they'll let you know it's amazing which is not the reason I called but I was just kind of taken aback and now wow that thank you thank you Russ anyway the reason I called is I I got some shows recently and I've been listening uh on the road and a wonderful idea popped into my head an amazing idea actually I thought you know Cheryl you're so good with the recipes you should take the show on the road now Jacques the Pan who does a show on uh PBS he used to do a show with Julia Child, and she's since passed away. I, he needs a co-host. Cheryl, you'd be perfect. Cheryl and Jacques cooking together. It's, well, think about it. Maybe you can send an email to PBS or something. Uh, I do really like the recipe owner, by the way. And great show. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. So for anyone who couldn't figure out who that was, and I don't think that's anybody, <laughs> that's our good buddy Rich, KD0RG who formerly of the low SWR podcast, which has not come out in some time. And I, I think we can declare it defunct at this point. I would like to say that rich, we would all love to hear you and Brady come back and do another low SWR. It, w- it would be fun to hear you guys again. You've obviously, you know, changed tax and moved on to different things and, and are in different places in your life. But, uh, low SWR was always entertaining. And I, for one, wouldn't mind hearing another episode of it. So. I would love it. They, they're, yeah. Officially, they're not defunct. Their website, lowswr.com, is still uh, going strong. Uh, their last episode release, episode number 36, uh, dates back to May 27th, 2013, a few moons back, perhaps. But, um, you know, they, the, the website's still up there, so uh, maybe, uh, maybe they're not defunct. Well, perhaps not. Maybe we'll hear from them yet again. If if nothing else, we'll hear from them in voicemail to our program, in which case they will they will live on that way. Thanks for listening, Rich. We know uh, you listen to us when you're out on the truck out there in the West, uh, driving around, doing what it is you do. And we thank you for listening and thank you for calling in all the time and uh, giving us some uh, outstanding feedback. And we will definitely get Cheryl in touch with PBS and see if we can get her on that cooking show. Sure. Because that would be kind of cool. (laughs) (laughs) But see, yet another, how how much feedback have we had, say, uh, with people saying that they love the recipe corner? I know, it's true. Everybody loves it. (laughs) Cheryl refuses to believe it. I know. Uh, Despite all evidence to the contrary, people actually love the recipe corner. Okay, and, okay. And how many other ham radio shows, or Linux shows for that matter, that has a recipe corner? Have I, a know. Recipe corner. I bet there's on, not one. Probably if, not, no. If nothing else, we're innovative. <laughs> we're, you know, setting the bar high for everybody else out there. That's right. Sure. Okay. Uh, everybody limbo. they don't have to limbo our bar is so high (laughs) that's right you can just walk on under it yep (laughs) all right you fat bastards (laughs) (laughs) and that's (laughs) p-h-a-t uh we have such a good time okay pete let's uh hear some more feedback from from jason Email from uh, Jason Miles, K-E-7-I-E-T, and he writes, LHS crew, I just listened to episode 154. I just wanted to send some encouraging words. 
Uh, you're offering good content to both the Linux and amateur radio communities. Uh, well, thank you. And uh, he says, I think you can discount Gary Pierce's comments. Gary Pierce seems to have a side hobby of criticizing other podcasts. I don't know how he got the idea that he's such an authority on the subject, but his arrogance is one of the factors that drives me away from his shows. And uh, that's from Jason Miles, KE7IET. Yeah, thanks for the comments, uh, Jason. Personally, I don't put too much, uh, uh, you know, thought into what Gary Pierce uh, thinks. He's entitled to think what he wants, and that's fine. Some of his comments are justified, uh, but that doesn't make the podcast uh, any less uh, entertaining or informative in uh, in my view. And you know, people are still listening, so we can't be doing all that bad. But it's always nice to, to get a little bit of encouragement. So uh, thanks a lot. And it's always nice to hear feedback from the listeners. So thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. KE7IET. We really appreciate you spending some time to send us a little bit of email feedback. And I don't want anybody to think that because the feedback seems to focus on Gary Pierce's comments on our show that we're specifically trying to address him or bash Gary in any way because we're certainly not about that. He is entitled to his opinion, as all of us are. We're just echoing the sentiments that were sent to us. It's not about any negativity towards Gary Pierce at all. And we do appreciate the feedback. So with that, I'm going to move on to our next bit of feedback, which came from Johnny Kinsey, uh, November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo. And he's uh, an oft feedbacker to our show. He says, I love the show this time. I really liked how you graded the three major OSs, and I agree with those grades for the most part. As for Gary from HRN, there is software for doing broadcast quality video. Gary should take a look at the OBS project, uh, which is at obsproject.com. I doubt he will, but for those out there wondering if such software for Linux is available, the answer there is yes. And yes, there are professional broadcasters, videographers, audiophiles, and amateur radio operators that use Linux every day in their jobs. Also, if Gary was really honest about Windows, he would have published a number of hours it took to build his system. Anyone can look back and think, oh, that was not so bad, but the whole time he was probably cursing Mr. Gates and his family. But that really is not what bothers me about his comments. What bothers me is that thing about unsolicited criticism, the putting down of other people's hard work. I've been listening to this show for a while, and I don't listen to it for its news reporting prowess. Well, that's good, because we don't have any. I do like the news segment, but really, if I wanted professional news reporting in the ham radio world, I would go to the source, like the AR Newsline, AWRL, or Southgate Amateur Radio News, which, of course, is where we get most of our news. To me, most professional news broadcasters seem robotic and not human. I think you should use Linux with text-to-speech to read the news. That way, you really can say this podcast is brought to you by Linux in the ham shack. I like that. I like that, too. It would be just as cold and unfeeling as many of the other ham radio shows out there. Russ, your show is unique. It has real people, not robots, running it. How many times have you watched the 6 p.m. news and the anchor stumbles through the report? It happens so often we don't even notice or care anymore. Anyway, that is enough of a rant for me. I love the show. Unfortunately, I don't get to listen to it live, so my only critique is the timely distribution of the shows and the show notes. I know you're busy, so I cut you some slack on that. For now, keep up the good work, and please ignore knuckleheaded repeater trolls. 7-3, everyone. P.S. Oh, I forgot to mention, here is a good site for the RTL-SDRs if you really want to get into it. You just can't do this stuff with a canned OS, but you can with Linux in the ham shack. 7-3... 
N4JEK out. So despite the uh, little bit of ranting there about Gary Pierce and uh, unsolicited criticism, which is neither here nor there as far as we're concerned, uh, there is some good information out there for folks who uh, are listening to the show who are interested in technology uh, and for uh, professional broadcasting software based on Linux, which is really cool. I didn't know anything about this, and I checked that link out when I got the email. And you know what? The software that, that's out there for doing professional videography and broadcasting for Linux is pretty outstanding. Uh, so I'm looking forward to check out some of that because it might actually help us in, uh, in broadcasting this show a little bit better as well, even though we're audio only. Some great links there, some great resources he referenced. And as we've said before, we really love the feedback because we all learn a little something when we get feedback from our listeners. Thanks again, Johnny. We're going to move on to our next bit of feedback. And this one's from Frank Howell, uh, our interview guest from the last episode, K4FMH. Uh, he sent me an email with a link to a paper that he wrote with a friend of his. And he says, here's a paper that K1REZ and I prepared on building out broadband ham networks uh, in a state, which just contains some thoughts. Seven threes, Frank, K4FMH. And again, it's one of those long links, and it's to a PDF document. So if you're interested in uh, the broadband mesh networks that we talked about in the last episode, this is a PDF which contains a lot of information pertaining to, like, the real nitty-gritty of, of getting one of these networks deployed in a municipality. So that's that's really cool, and I want to thank Frank for being our interview guest last episode and for sending this information along because... Um, We've had a lot of good feedback about how interesting it was, and I know I was um, wrapped listening to the last episode, just listening to him talk about all this cool stuff, because uh, it was a very interesting topic and one we haven't really delved into until we got him on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We also had some posts on Google+. Plus. We had one from Koos Vandenhout, and he has actually commented on the show before, but I cannot remember what his call sign is, and it's not... Uh, associated with his Google Plus profile. So apologies for the fact that I don't have that information. But he says, uh, in episode 151, there was some great information about Android apps for ham radio. I'd like to add a few comments about mentioned programs. NKC cluster is free, but asks for in-app donations via in-app purchases. I didn't know about that. But apparently it's still free. You just kind of get nagged every so often about it. He also said you mentioned APRS Droid having an option to connect a Bluetooth TNC, but did not go into this option. That's very true. I didn't, but he's about to. Uh, this is the way cool option with APRS Droid. Connect a Mobile Link D TNC to your handheld radio, connect it with Bluetooth to your Android device, and APRS Droid will use it to transmit APRS reports and will display all received APRS information, including the maximum information that can be decoded from the packets. No internet connection needed in this case, just a handheld radio tuned into the local APRS frequency. I tried this myself and became a huge fan of Mobile Link D. I'm not sure what any of that actually means. Somebody who's into APRS way more than I am will, I'm sure, understand what that was about. He says it's a really cool feature of APRS Droid, so if that's the kind of thing you're into, uh, hopefully that is good information for you. Uh, in response to that Google Plus post, another another of our listeners, Christajan uh, Konkas, uh, replied, Truth be told, NKC Cluster only invites for donations every fifth day after one month's use. 
I trust this isn't a terrible inconvenience even for those users who don't think it's worth a cup of coffee, but in case I'm wrong, nowadays there are several other Android alternatives. I won't get into how they compare to NKC cluster feature-wise as I don't use any of them. Again, this is just referencing software we mentioned back in episode number 151. If you're looking for APRS clients or other software for Android, go ahead and check that episode out. KD5HQN, Pete and Russ, what are your opinions on the Enlightenment window manager? Uh, We'll get back to Enlightenment in a second, but Klewick also says, APRS Droid works pretty well. I have one of the Bluetooth TNCs and they work well. It's a cheap and easy way to get APRS up and running with a Chinese handheld. We'll ask Kleewick if he can cite a location where you might get one of these Bluetooth TNCs, um, which we'll report if we get an answer to that. And then uh, when we get through this feedback, we'll talk about um, Jeremy's mentioning of enlightenment. All right, we got a couple more bits of feedback. Uh, the next one is a Google Plus post from Ron Greasy, VE3RJG, Victor Echo 3, Romeo Juliet Golf. Uh, He says, enjoy your podcast a lot. I'm on the road a lot, and while I stop for the night, I listen and sometimes laugh my ass off. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yes, very good. Really liked your interview with Frank. I am not a tech, and that blew my mind. Actually, kind of blew mine, too. That guy is real knowledgeable. Uh, My call sign is Victor Echo 3, Romeo Juliet Golf, and I enjoy QRP. Yes, all my old computers have Linux on them. I have fun messing with Linux, and one day I will sort of master it. Anyway, thanks, Ron. Uh, Really good to uh, hear from you. And I know you just signed up recently on most of our social media platforms, so you're obviously a relatively new listener. We're glad to have you on board, and thanks once again for the feedback. I love to hear from our listeners, and glad to hear you're actually using Linux in your ham shack. That's, That's what we really want to hear. And finally, we have a Facebook post from Doug Reeder, uh, who says, Nothing stale about Linux in the ham shack. Well, that's good to know. Stumbled upon the podcast looking for Linux distros and ham radios. Great podcast. Keep up the great work. Doug, Kilo, Fox 7, Sierra Juliet Echo. Yes, very cool. So thanks, Doug. Really glad to hear from you. Glad you're on board. Hope we uh, provide you with some great information and that you continue to be a listener. And maybe catch up on some of the old episodes. You'll find that uh, episode three is a lot different from episode 150. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just just a skosh. I sound really different. Yes, Yes. your your uh, your voice has changed quite a bit over the years. (laughs) Anyway, thanks once again to all of the folks who sent us feedback. We really appreciate that. So with that, we're going to go back real quick and address the uh, Enlightenment uh, window manager. And honestly, I've only used Enlightenment a couple of times because Enlightenment is strictly a window manager, and I don't generally use window managers. They tend to be lightweight overlays on top of your X windows environment, and they're basically just for creating an environment to open terminal windows or to open apps inside of the X windows. Uh, They have minimal window decoration. They can be tiling or uh, standard window managers. They don't have a lot of frills, although Enlightenment tends to be more glossy and uh, sort of Web 2.0 looking uh, than standard window managers. Uh, But I, for one, don't really use them. From what I've heard of folks that do use a typical window manager environment, they really love environment, and it's probably one of the most polished out there. But I tend to use full desktop environments. I I tend to use things like GNOME, GNOME 3, 
mate and stuff like that, uh, which have all of the bells and whistles. So I can't really speak to a standard window manager environment. So guess what? We're done with our content for the show, or at least our Linux and ham radio content for the show. And you know what that means? We're on to the best part of the program, segment five. That's right. It's Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Woohoo! Yay. Or something. Excellent. All right. So hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the recipe I picked this week is something that I fixed in the past for us and completely blanked on until I was hunting for recipes tonight. So, and I remember that we really liked it and it was uh, quite juicy. But anyway, um, my dad was the uh, the son of a Texas cattle rancher, and we had plenty of beef on our dinner table when I was growing up. But since Russ and I are trying to lose weight and have not needed extra fat the whole time we've been together, I typically choose chicken for dinner. So um, this is a recipe that's really good. It does have mayonnaise in it. It does make for really good chicken. It's uh, chicken or and some mayonnaise, or if you like... You can use Greek yogurt instead of the mayonnaise, Parmesan cheese, some seasoning salt, throw some dill weed in there, which is optional, pepper, garlic powder, uh, lemon juice is optional as well if you want a little extra zip to it. And if you really want to uh, blow your diet, you can crush up some cornflakes or some breadcrumbs and either roll the chicken in it or sprinkle them on the top for a little bit of crunch. And you bake it in the oven and poof, you have dinner. Cornflakes are healthy. Oh, it yeah. depends on how many you eat. Lots of bran and fiber. Keep you regular. No bran and cornflakes. Bran flakes, maybe. Come on, I just wanted to bring regularity into the show. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds excellent. It does sound good. When was the last time we had that? Before my father passed away. Okay, that was in 2005. Yes, I know. That, it's been a while. Like, yes, it has a- been a as while. As I said, it was something like, you know, Stumbled across my recipe database tonight, and I was like, oh. Well, maybe you I need to make it that. again. Yeah, I probably should. Yeah, you probably should. I think I'm going to make it. And it is really, really good. I'm not sure what the mayonnaise does, but the chicken is super moist and super tender when you're, you know, done with it. I'm not laughing at you. I just erased the title. Of <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to copy and paste the yeah. recipe so I could send it to myself. Yeah, I see stuff moving around in the ether pad, so. <laughs> I'm control Zing, but it's just not working. <laughs> All right. Oh, Pete's, there you go. I got it. Yeah, back. Pete's screwing okay. with us, so. All right. I'm not even drinking. That's the scary part. <laughs> you're drinking tea. I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe tea affects you in weird ways that we don't know about. Ginger tea, perhaps I should yeah. uh, stop that. Yeah, I'm having a strawberry Italian soda. So. Ooh, all right. Ooh. I'm having some pecan porter from the big Texan. And <laughs> armadillo, Texas. Texas. In armadillo, Texas, that's right. Isn't that Amarillo? It yeah, is, it is Amarillo, Amarillo okay. yes. Which is actually Amarillo. And that means yellow. It does mean yellow. So, yeah, and the building is painted bright, bright yellow. yellow. <laughs> yep. Is it really? It, it yes, is, it is. Yes, it is bright amarillo. The Big Texan Steakhouse, for those that are unaware. Um, I don't has, think anyone's unaware, but go for well, it. Well, they, they have, well, see, Pete doesn't know That's anything right. about Pete it. Pete doesn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a, I'm sorry. <laughs> very Let's just say very little. Okay. It's located in Amarillo, Texas, and of course we were in Albuquerque last weekend for the 
International oh, wait, Balloon I saw the Fiesta. On Facebook. Yes. Yeah. But they have a deal and if you can go in and eat a seventy two ounce steak <laughs> no, 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 just wait, wait there's that's, more. That's just the beginning. <laughs> Yep. Uh, well, yeah, the the seventy two ounce steak is the entree. You also have to down a shrimp cocktail, a salad, a huge baked potato, and a, roll. a dinner roll, yep. plus the steak. And one hour, you get it free. Otherwise, it's like seventy five bucks. Seventy five dollars if yeah. you can't do it. And has anybody ever done it? Yes, yes. yes there are people <laughs> who have done it. <laughs> and are they still living? Yes, yes. they are. <laughs> I actually know a few people that have tried. I don't think they actually got through it, but they did get sick once they left the building. That's insane. It it is insane. And I, you know, Cheryl's always like, whenever we come across these places that have, you know, eating contests of this type, I think, I think the big Texan is probably the most extreme of the ones we've seen. Um, but there are a couple of places where they have like a, you know, like a 20 inch pizza and you have to eat that in three, in 30 minutes or something like that. And every time we come across these places, like you should do that. And every time I'm like, (laughs) There's not a chance in hell I can do that. I'm not, I'm not spending $75 because I know before I even start that that's not happening. But I will say they do have an outstanding pecan porter. So Yes. The steak was really good, and they actually had a um, like a beer flight, and you could pick four of the different beers off their menu, and they had like 12. We got a raspberry and one that was called like rattlesnake or something like that. But anyway, the they had a pecan porter, and I was like, well, I love pecans. Russ is not... Not a huge pecan fan, but uh, yeah, you're drinking it now because you I'm need to drink it. Drinking it right it. now, yeah. that's right. It's got a pecan taste with like chocolate and brown sugar. You know, I hate beer, but I will actually drink this. So I thought, well, well you know, if I'll drink it. Then you know, it's got to be semi decent. Anyway, we, we've already so. made plans to have an entire vacation around going back to the Big Texan just to get more of the porter. <laughs> it's a 400 mile drive to get there from here. So we figured, well, if we're driving there for some beer, we ought to do something else at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so, not sure if we're going for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but... Yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway, <laughs> we should probably move on. That's enough about the Big Texan. So that's our uh, Cheryl's Recipe Corner for the evening. So uh, why don't you go ahead and move on to our social media roundup. All righty then. So this time for donations and subscriptions, we have Dylan Engel, Jeremy Hall, Scott Pettigrew, Robert Halliday, Bill Arcand, and Mike Swanson. And a bunch of people on Facebook this week. Bob Reckney, Ron Slay, Hugh Alexandru, Marcus Schwartz. Uh, Shaper, Joseph Dozpat the Third, Michael Red, William Holloway, Chris Bloxham, Dud Susie Redder, and Scott Pastor. On Google Plus, we had Michael Hauska, Ron Greasy, uh, D. Patsick, Osvalda Rosado, Rick Stoner, Andrew Stevens, and Victor Torres. On Twitter, we had uh, Easy A Tracking. Jeffrey Caddy, Ligel, L-A-I-J-L, not sure about that one, and Heath Veliquit. On YouTube, we had Combat Jim 89 and Robert Allen, and nobody joined the mailing list, and there were no merchandise sales this week. Oh, that's okay. We had lots of people join the program on lots of social media networks out there, so thank you everybody for being a part of the show, and we hope to get feedback from you all in the near future. 
And uh, now that we're down to the end of the social media roundup, that means we're at the end of the program. I push the button, which means there's music playing in the background. So you can become an LHS ambassador. You can visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby Linux Con or Ham Fest. And we also love feedback. We've talked about that much on the show tonight. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, or leave a voicemail for us at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit our IRC channel, hash LHS podcast on Freenode and subscribe to our mailing list. You can buy show merchandise, which helps support the show, at cafepress.com slash podcast. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. You can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday, 100 Zulu Time. In the summertime, 0200 Zulu Time. In the wintertime. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website, and that website is lhspodcast.info, where you can find out everything you ever wanted to know about the show. Thanks to all of our listeners, live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you. And broadcasting from Studio 3D in southwestern Missouri, this is Russ, K5TUX. And with me, as always, is Cheryl across the table. Good night, everyone. And Pete from Montreal, Canada, V2XBL. Bonsoir, eh? And we will see you all in uh, a week's time this time, but it's usually 14 days. But anyway, for the next episode, 157, tune in then, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Chicken. And money.